So this podcast is about who should and perhaps who shouldn't take the necessary steps to avoid probate. I'm Paul Rabelais. I'm an estate planning attorney in Louisiana. And before I get into the subject matter, I want to tell you a quick story about Jim and Roger. They were patients in a mental hospital. And one day they were walking past the facility swimming pool. Jim jumped in suddenly and he went down to the deep end. He sunk to the bottom and he stayed there. Well, Roger promptly jumped in to save him. He swam to the bottom, pulled Jim out. When the medical director became aware of Roger's heroic act, He immediately ordered Roger to be discharged from the hospital, considering him to be mentally stable. When the medical director went to tell Roger the news, he said, Roger, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is you're being discharged from our mental hospital because since you were able to jump in and save the life of another patient, I think you've regained your senses. The bad news, Jim, is the patient you saved, he hung himself with his bathrobe belt in the bathroom. I'm so sorry but he's dead. To which Roger replied, he, he didn't hang himself. I put him there to dry. All right, so watch out for those you know, mental patients. This is a topic that uh, gets confusing to a lot of people. There are perhaps differences of opinion. And so we're just going to tackle it head on, be as objective as we, as we can be. So, you know, I get the question about every day, uh, you know, Paul, should I take these necessary steps to avoid probate? Should I create a trust or should I just, you know, let my heirs inherit what I have through the court process? So the, the analysis sometimes gets a little bit warped because you have, you know, different people on both sides of the fence, you know, advocating different positions. And again, I'll, you know, I'm being real brief here and and there's you know there's good people in every profession but I'll kind of slant this next few seconds toward those who are a little more adamant so you know sometimes on one side of the fence you see the uh, and and there are some not every um, but some people in the financial services industry who are in the business of selling living trusts and, and they won't tell you this, but the reason they're in the business of selling living trusts is because in order to get your assets titled in the name of your living trust, which they somehow, um, you know, get you to do, and they're not lawyers, and but they nonetheless are somehow getting some legal document preparation done for you. And by advocating that, then they will also in the course of getting all of the legal trust set up and assets titled correctly, they're going to find out what financial resources and what financial accounts you have because that's a part of getting your living trust set up is retitling all of your, you know, kind of uh, financial accounts. And so since that's a necessary part of the living trust getting set up process, they get to find out everything you own. You uh, whereas if they're just you know offering you financial advice, a lot of the clients end up you know withholding information because they don't want the financial representative to know what all they have. But when they set up their living trust, really the financial advisor winds up finding every, find out finding out everything about every account that you own, and when that 
financial services person finds that out, they often attempt to attempt to sell, for lack of a better word, more perhaps annuity, sales, life insurance products, or other financial service products. Again, already said it once, I'll say it again, not every you know financial service professional is that way. In fact, the scenario that I just explained is, is the minority, but we still see a lot of it out there. So you've got those folks on one side of the fence and then on, and so those are all get a living trust, get a living trust, get a living trust. And in the back of their mind, they're saying, give a, give a, get a living trust because you got to tell me everything that you own and then I can sell you more financial products. On the other side of the fence, and again, not every time, but I've seen a lot, is the, is the, is the lawyers, and I'm a lawyer, and, uh, but we see some lawyers saying, don't get a trust. Uh, you don't need it. Probate's not that bad. But typically, the only lawyers who are advocating that are lawyers who make their living taking families through the probate process, or in Louisiana called the succession process. So, you know, I've, I've seen some lawyers who say, um, you know, probate only costs X. And then I've seen them handle probates where the attorney fees that were involved wound up being, you know, 50 times X. And, you know, that's a blanket statement. Everyone is different. Um, but um, those those opinions on either side of the fence often confuse consumers. So let's jump into it. Again, that's the exception rather than norm. A lot of good folks out there. Every profession has lots of fantastic people, and that is the case for the financial services field and the legal field, but sometimes you hear things that, that cloud it. All right, so a lot of people ask, you know, is there a dollar amount of assets? And if I have more than that dollar amount, I should have a trust. If I have less, I should not. The question and the answer really is not really. Um, you know, someone with minimal values of assets, maybe a home and maybe a few shares of stock, car, um, you know, they just they have a minimal amount, but they want to really set things up to make it as easy as they can. And every probate has costs anyway. And so um, it's not really a dollar amount thing. I'll, and I'll get in a little bit to the small succession affidavit procedure. So that may be an exception to my statement that it's not really a dollar amount issue. Another exception, just a very general one, is really the more assets and heirs that one has when they die, very likely the more complicated their probate will be. You know, more assets means more, um, you know, discovery time to determine those assets and values. The more heirs means really the more participants in the probate. And if you have one who's not cooperative, it really can shut the whole thing down. And so there's the potential for more probate problems, the more assets and more participants there will be. So those are very general statements. And I'll start with some kind of no-brainer should avoid probate 
um, topics, and then we'll go to some that you know could be um, could be questioned. So the first one is if you own property in more than one state. Some people, for example, they own a home in Louisiana and then they own other property in another state or maybe in more than one other state. And the way our system works, and this is applicable in every state, when someone does a probate in a state, it, it covers and it, um, it allows for the transfer of all of the assets of the person who lived in that state all of their financial accounts, wherever those accounts are, and their business interests. But it doesn't address real estate that is owned in another state. So, for example, lived here in Louisiana, um, owned a home here, owned some property in Mississippi or a condo in Alabama or Florida. Then when you pass away, if all of these things are in your name, then your family will hire lawyers to do the Louisiana probate or succession, as people call it, to transfer your Louisiana home and all of your financial accounts and other assets. But that Louisiana succession slash probate will not affect the transfer of your Mississippi land and your Alabama condo, your um, surviving family members will have to go hire a different set of lawyers in Mississippi to conduct the ancillary Mississippi probate to transfer that property. And then they'll have to, in addition, go to Alabama, for example, where your condo is, hire a different set of lawyers to handle the Alabama ancillary probate, which will transfer your condo. So if it makes sense to avoid probate in one state, well, it makes even more sense to arrange what you have in a trust so that multiple probates are avoided. And then you can imagine if it's a married couple and they own property in three states, there's the potential for you know six different probates it can drive the family crazy. So that's that one's pretty much a no-brainer. Everybody kind of feels that way. And I've got six or seven issues here. The second one is um, a, uh, a trust. This doesn't really have, have to do with what happens when you pass away and avoiding probate, but it has to do with if you become incapacitated, making it easier for your spouse or your adult, adult child or whoever you designated you'd want to handle things for you. It, a trust may make it easier for them to do that. Most people, when this issue is brought up, say something like, I got that one covered. Uh, I named my son on a power of attorney. Next issue. So sometimes we go to the next issue because I just, they just insist that they're right. But there have been a number of issues um, where people have had problems with a power of attorney because a power of attorney really is only as effective um, to the extent that a third party is willing to accept it. And there are many third parties who have problems with the powers of attorney that were signed. And unfortunately, those problems don't surface until the person who gave power of attorney is incapacitated. 
and they're not able to fix it. So I'll give you a couple examples. We've seen some banks that have said we won't honor a power of attorney that is more than six months old. Um, I've seen some brokerage firms say we won't honor a power of attorney that is more than X years old. I've had banks tell us um, we're not going to honor this power of attorney because the word such and such is not in the title of the power of attorney, which is ridiculous because all the necessary language is in the text of the power of attorney. Um, I've had uh, legal departments of financial institutions tell me we won't honor a power of attorney if two people have to work together. We just won't do it. Um, and others just, um, you know, they're, all the financial institutions are worried about, you know, protecting themselves from being sued. And one of their concerns is um, the, you know, a, a customer of theirs signs a power of attorney in 2016. Now it's 2018. And uh, a child perhaps presents a power of attorney to that bank um, and the bank's legal department is saying, hmm, this document was signed two years ago. I wonder if maybe in the interim, the person who created this power of attorney may have revoked it and appointed somebody else. I don't want to be caught in that trap. So, you know, because of we're just in, in such a litigious society, um, third parties kind of question or sometimes um, get real hesitant to honor powers of attorney. Now, what they are typically agreeable to doing is, is honoring, you know, trust documents. So dad sets up his trust, names son as the alternate trustee, has some provision in the trust for determining when dad is incapacitated. And really, I've never been involved in a situation where um, a third party or a financial institution uh, refused to um, work with a successor trustee of a trust. So sometimes that, that trust is better for incapacity planning than using a power of attorney. Okay, another reason people will want to avoid probate is they want to eliminate or reduce that post-death cost. Some people look at this decision in pure financial terms. They say to themselves, hmm, I can set up a living trust and it will cost me X um, and... Uh, and that is essentially all or the bulk of the cost that my estate will pay to get things set up because when I pass away, there won't be a probate and those probate expenses will be avoided. And, and then going through their mind, they, they tend to analyze and do the math and say, you know, I could set up a trust and get all that up and it will cost X and um, my and then and then they say my my research tends to show that um, if I don't have a trust and I pass away, the cost of the probate will be X or two times X or ten times X, 
Or maybe they say, wow, my, both when I pass away and my spouse pass away, there's going to be a probate at each death. And so, again, the, the financial cost of my family going through that twice is going to be um, something times X or, or something a multiple of the cost of getting their trust in place. So for people who want to eliminate or reduce that cost, it can help. A couple of notes on that, you know, uh, those, uh, at least here in Louisiana, the executor's fee, when there's an executor in a probate, there's a statutory 2.5% of the gross assets. So when someone has, let's call it a $3 million estate, and there's going to be what's called an administration of the estate, an executor gets confirmed to handle administrative duties. And, and so if you look at, you know, two and a half percent of three million, a three million dollar estate, that's a seventy five thousand dollar executor executor's fee. And you haven't even paid the attorneys yet. So um, some people feel like they they would like to have their assets in a trust, um, eliminate that executor's fee and um, name a trustee who may be, you know, um, willing to handle that trust administration for little or nothing, or if it was perhaps a corporate trustee. I've seen some corporate trustees handle a trust administration when they do it on a percentage standpoint. It might be a 1% or something like that, but it's typically always less than the 2.5%. So that's another aspect. And then, of course, there's attorney's fees are typically, um, uh, you know, more significant when there's a probate involved. The family must hire attorneys and um, oftentimes trusts are settled depending upon the complexity and depending upon the underlying assets that are in the trust. Oftentimes trusts are settled without any attorney's fees. So some people analyze that. They say, well, we'd like to have a trust because we'd like to, you know, um, just purely from a financial standpoint, it would be less expensive for me to have a trust than not have one and go through the stuff that that would have to be gone through when we pass away. Another is a, um, in 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 a certain way, if you feel like there's the potential for conflict um, when you pass away, you may want to have a trust, not necessarily for other reasons that you read, but for reasons I'm about to explain. Some people make a blanket statement that a will can be contested and a trust cannot be contested. Now, that blanket statement isn't necessarily true. If, you, if you're all whacked out when you sign your will and you don't know what you're doing or you're adversely influenced by someone... Or on the other hand, if you're whacked out um, and um, or unduly influenced when you sign a trust, or perhaps you don't follow the proper formality requirements of doing your will or doing your trust, you know, all that can be challenged whether you have a will or whether you have a trust. So the blanket statement, wills can be challenged, trusts can't, is really not fair. But when somebody does have a trust, um, the 
settlement of it is much easier. For example, in a, in a succession, all of the parties you know, are participants and they all have to be, and typically are represented by lawyers, and um, they all have to sign off on various aspects of the court pleadings. And that's just more difficult, especially if there's the potential for conflict or if there is conflict. All that is just more difficult than often a trust administration where that successor trustee, in fact, I'm handling one, and there is the potential for conflict where, you know, really all they have to do is just kind of write that person a check and uh, that person is not otherwise involved in the trust administration. So the potential for conflict um, and, and really trust typically gets settled faster than probates. And sometimes when somebody dies, just the quicker you can get this stuff done, um, the better it is for everybody involved. And so that might be another reason to avoid the probate. Another reason is some people just are planners and they want to get as much done ahead of time as they can. And they don't want their children to, to do anything that could have been avoided. And so you see that a lot with maybe parents who live in Louisiana, kids live out of state. Um, you know, kids are busy and parents know that. And the kids are busy raising families, working, working jobs. So parents want to do as much of the pre-planning ahead of time as they can. They'll often set up their trust to make it simpler and uh, do some of that work ahead of time so that there's not all that um, information gathering, accounts being frozen, hiring lawyers, um, and you know all the other stuff that's involved in a probate. Another option is you know if you own a business. Um, if you own a business and you pass away and that the business or the shares of stock or the LLC membership interest is in your name, Nobody can transact, you know, your interest in that business without getting the proper authorities and going through the court. And I had somebody tell me one time, he said, um, Paul, if I pass away, the, the business that I own, the 30 days after I pass away are critical because if my business doesn't get sold within 30 days after my death. Every day that goes by, the value of my business will diminish um, because, you know, customers will, will start going elsewhere. And so, um, so, so that business owner was really adamant to have things set up so that the business could be managed, could be sold, could be handled without having to wait on a, on a judge to authorize things like that. So, and then, you know, really the last, it kind of sums up all of it. You know, a lot of just people tell me, you know, Paul, we just want to make it as easy as, easy as we can on each other and for our kids. And, and so when you add in that, that intermediary step of having to go through a court process, that just makes it more difficult in most cases so some people who just want to, you know, make it as easy as they can, they'll often set up trust and so uh, make it easier. Now, who shouldn't um, have, you know, take the necessary steps to avoid probate, you know, by creating a trust to eliminate the need to go through any kind of court process? <clears throat> well, there's a couple. And one is... In Louisiana, at least, we have something called a small succession affidavit procedure. So here's where that might warrant someone not having a trust to avoid probate. 
So if someone owns less than $125,000, and here's another important one, they are comfortable with our state laws which determine where someone goes if they don't have a will, then really they should have no will or trust and let the small succession affidavit procedure transfer that assets upon their death to their heirs without a full-blown succession proceeding. So that small succession affidavit procedure, it's not available if someone died with a will. And so it's kind of a unique scenario where it can be simpler if somebody has less than $125,000 if they don't have a will, so long as they're comfortable with the Louisiana intestate laws, which generally provide that things go to the kids. And if, but if you leave a surviving spouse, that surviving spouse inherits the usufruct until death or remarriage. We can talk more about that later. So if you qualify for the small succession affidavit procedure, you're not going to go through probate anyway, so no need to set up a trust to avoid probate. Number two is if there's not going to be a probate anyway based on what assets you own. So some people don't own any real estate. They rent and the only assets that they own perhaps are retirement accounts where they've designated beneficiaries, maybe some life insurance where they've designated beneficiaries, and maybe bank accounts where maybe they set it up to avoid probate anyway, and a lot of people informally, they take an adult child to the bank and the child is a signer, or they set up paperwork at the bank so that when they die, that bank is POD, payable on death, to whoever they designated. And so there's not going to be any probate anyway. No assets when they die will be frozen. No third parties are going to need court orders. So that would make sense that those people should uh, not go through the effort of creating a trust to avoid probate. And then you get a third group of people who just... Um, this doesn't sound real good, but I, yeah, I, I get it. It's where they just don't care. Um, you know, they, they usually say um, something like, I'll be dead. And so they just want to keep things as simple as they can for themselves without any concern about what happens to their spouse or their kids or whoever they're leaving things to when they pass, pass away. So, you know, no need to take any effort to try to make things easier for your survivors if you really, you know, don't care because you'll be dead. So there you have it. Um, a quick overview. You know, you may have to listen to this a couple of times to get the full effect of it. There are, you know, exceptions to just about every rule there are personalities involved in these decisions. There's, there's family emotion. There's financial um, uh, components of this. So it is real important that you work with the right estate planning attorney who can guide you through these decisions. You know, get it right the first time, have things set up the right way so there's not problems for your family in the future. Hope this helps. Y'all take care.